0: Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? It would be so awesome if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about, kind, loving Christian conversations. It's not a sermon, not a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have conversations like this with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with two of my friends and co-workers, Matt Mead and Kyle Beard. Matt is the family life minister and Kyle is the middle school minister here at the Church of Christ on McDermott Road. The conversation we had was about teenagers and their theology. What do teenagers today think about God, the church, the Bible, and living a Christian life? Matt and Kyle, along with the rest of our youth and family ministry team, do a tremendous job. I think you will gain a lot of insight from this conversation.
1: It's very difficult to combat the notion of, especially with ninth and tenth graders, like the transition that they make to 11th and 12th, like once they get their license, there are very few things they don't think they don't know like Mm -hmm. because they don't feel like now they have to rely on anyone for anything. And Mm -hmm. so really self-reliance, which is a narrative that affects people of all ages is just kind of maybe hyper uh, impactful for those students because why would you ask mom and dad when you could Google something? Uh, why would you, um, want to hear a story from from one of your parents about their own experience when you can you know youtube it or go out and try to experience on your own there's just without intentionality there is very little opportunity for mentoring and the sharing of faith in a way that is personal and really introspective
0: Hmm. so once they once they hit that that mark of independence then it's really hard to kind of teach them anything unless you can help them to have sort of an experience that they can begin to process and learn it for themselves?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that we think is so important about, you know, some of the opportunities that we try to provide in the youth ministry like Wilderness Trek or um, things that are unique that you can't get in Monday through Friday life, but I think that that's an encouragement to parents to also Try to create those rites of passage, those unique experiences that are disorienting somewhat in their nature so that they stop and make each person reassess kind of where they're at. You know, they just kind of are jarring enough to peel back some layers and have some genuine and authentic conversations.
0: That's a really interesting concept about the uh, rite of passage that... Our culture doesn't seem to have like some cultures in the past have had, and probably many cultures around the world have uh, that, like you said, that parents have to be intentional about creating those. Um, and I and I would I would think that I, I forget the word that you use, but but uncovering the vulnerability and kind of undermining that idea of self-reliance that we have, that we all, we all tended to have at that age, uh, in every generation. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the more independent you become, the more you kind of tell yourself the lie that I I don't need anybody else. I can figure it out on my own. I can do everything on my own. And you, that's, there's some positives to that too and we we should be you know growing in our independence and those kind of things but also recognizing our need for our parents recognizing our need for older generations but but to create experiences that kind of help us to realize help them to realize that they need they need the people that have gone before they need to rely on other people they need they need the lord you know and so mm-hmm. creating those types of things so what kind of things have you seen that have worked in helping them to have, you you mentioned wilderness trek and those kind of things. So what kind of other types of rites of passage can the church provide or parents themselves provide for their teens to help them deal with that transition of life?
1: Yeah, I think maybe before answering that question, I'd like to just tack on to what you're saying of, I think what is unique is to this generation is there is individual Thinking without owning the fact that you're an adult. So um, Tim Elmore and his group did a study asking people to define when they were adults and the most common answer was when they had their first child. Hmm. And so you've got this huge gap between gaining independence and viewing yourself as an adult. And so, you know, that's a 16- year old who now thinks that they're independent without the responsibility of adulthood creates this major, you know, difficult passage for them to walk through. And so part of that's our fault as a society of not helping them see themselves as adults. Um, But I think some of those rites of passages are serving as a family, finding ways to, you know, in our particular area, uh, break the Frisco, Plano, McKinney bubble, prosper, you know, get outside of this area and, you know, not just rely on church mission trips to do that. I think those are a great way to do it. But if you can take your family downtown and serve, or you can, um, you know, find different ways even within uh, our area, because there are plenty of ways to get outside of the bubble without going too far from your home. Yeah. Uh, but just being really intentional about uh, providing our students with an opportunity to see just how blessed they are and to begin to develop empathy and also a sense of activism for others. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: So what about what about the younger kids? What what are you seeing coming up in middle school young people and and even, you know, freshmen and sophomore Uh, age group that, especially as it pertains to their theology and the way they think about God and some of the unique challenges and unique um, perspectives that they bring to the table?
2: They definitely, uh, especially in middle school and I think still in high school as well, they're wrestling with questions um, beginning with who am I and then how do I belong to a certain group or, or where do I fit in and then how does that Perspective or where I belong uh, change my view of God. Um, so when you go off from that platform, and they're again thinking, how do I fit in with this group? How do I fit in with the church? Um, hopefully, their view of God shows that they are are wanting to be a part of that. Uh, it, that they're not separate. That they're not. Um, I don't know, yeah, they're not separate, but they do have a place to belong. yeah. Uh, so then they approach things and as the church, we should be providing ways for them to be included so that they aren't feeling like they're you know just an afterthought yeah um, or extra.
0: So you know what, what's interesting about that is that a lot of the stuff we've talked about so far has been you know the, the unique way that that teens see themselves and see the church and see kind of how they fit into that, both younger and older. But I'm I'm curious about about really about the way that they they think of God. You know, I mean maybe and I tend to think of it and maybe I'm wrong for how I think of it, but but I think that there's this this spectrum of thought about God, you know, that, that God is on the one hand, this, you know, angry tyrant that, you know, just wants to catch people in a, in a mistake and throw a lightning bolt down. And then on the other hand, there's this God that says, yeah, you know, just whatever, you know, just kind of live your life and, Mm -hmm. and whatever. And, um, and how we tend as, as humans and especially those that grow up in kind of a Christian environment, we tend to either see God as one or the other. And, you know, I think certain generations have a tendency to, kind of swing from one pendulum side to the other and and not get... I always say that the cross keeps that in perspective because you can't look at the cross and think God doesn't take sin seriously and you can't look at the cross and think that uh, God won't forgive you because he gave his only begotten son. So it kind of keeps keeps everything in perspective. So, you know, maybe jumping off from that point, what um, what would you say that that teenagers today tend to think about uh, whether that's older teens or younger teens or whatever, um, what do they tend to think about God? Just what kind of a what kind of a God is He?
2: I'd first say that they they think uh, God as as a uh, task master, where there's a set of rules. These are the things you need to follow, mm-hmm. and if you don't, then you'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, we were recently talking in class about changing our perspective of God and how we were talking about Luke 15 and how God chases after us in this past summer, we've been talking about, uh, God relentlessly pursuing us. And so changing our mindset, our perspective view of God of rather than distant, um, that he is, he's not only close, but he is, he's chasing after us. And so, um, he wants us to follow the rules. He does have a certain way that he wants us to live, obviously, but that's not the point, the point is that he loves us, and so when he's chasing after us, he's he's trying to bring us home. Um, and the, the again, stories in Luke 15 talking about how uh, the shepherd leaves the other sheep and and tries and finds uh, that that sheep and the coin, like. There's so much intention on, I'm, I have to find this. So when students hopefully understand and realize that God is not far away and that he is with them and he is looking for them and he is offering a place for them to belong, that opens up the, the view of God as, okay, I can actually talk to him, I can, I can approach him. Um, this is something that is not just a set of rules, but a, um, a family.
0: So do you find that that's especially true or maybe even exclusively true of kids that grew up in a church environment? Or is there is there a vast difference? I guess that's the way I should ask the question. Mm-hmm. Is there a vast difference in how church kids tend to think about God in that perspective that yeah. God is, you know, a taskmaster um, versus the way that maybe an unchurched kid might think of God?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you have been raised in the church so you know all the stories or you've heard them all those stories and so uh hopefully when you get older you're able to th- think differently and think more introspectively and critically so when you read all these stories and, about people but as an unchurched person yeah your view of god is, is way different than uh, a church kid just because you haven't heard these stories before for one or the little experience that you've had maybe your grandfather went to church or you had a friend that went to church and you went to one event. It went, it wasn't that fun or something happened, um, or you didn't have anything to do with church, but you're, um, you you were in a car crash or something. There's something bad happened. And so you tend to blame something other than yourself. Mm -hmm. It's easy to blame God. Sure. So an unchurched person. Yeah, for sure. They're different view of God. Um,
1: I think what's interesting, to Kyle's point, is I think oftentimes teenagers have the taskmaster view of God when it comes to their own faith. But when it comes to everyone else, they view God as being very loving and inclusive of others. Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of this weird—and I guess it's not weird. I guess it's what we all struggle with in terms of inclusion and exclusion and figuring out— Um, exactly what faith looks like in that, but it tends to be really hard on ourselves and very open to others. Mm. And so, especially with teenagers and some of the different, you know, issues that we're seeing in our society today, it's very slow to judge others, but very quick to judge ourselves as unworthy and, you know, that God doesn't love us, but he extends love to all types of people. And so it's, that's really the line that We're having to walk a lot with teenagers.
0: And that creates an interesting environment, doesn't it? That trying to help them to see that God does call them to a certain type of a lifestyle, um, but not to be... Not to exclude ourselves from the grace of God. And so it it creates an interesting teaching environment where you don't want to come across as saying, you know, you you're out or adding to that burden of guilt and shame that they already feel while at the same time teaching them, you know, that that yes, there are certain standards for how we live and what God expects of us and what he's calling us to and how we interact with people in the world or whatever. And so teaching that, that, you know, that grace and that truth and and kind of helping those two things to, uh, to be in their fullness in people's minds. Mm
1: -hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with teenagers are looking for somewhere to be involved in the story of helping people Mm -hmm. and society is, doing a good job of highlighting groups that it believes need to be helped. And so students latch on to that when the church maybe isn't providing as compelling of a narrative for them to get involved in. And so sometimes we think that the motives of students are bad when they may latch on to certain beliefs or ideals that we might view as contrary to scripture, but at the same time, their motives are to help others and we're just not aligning that desire with opportunity sometimes. Yeah.
0: I think that's a powerful word that, that gets used more and more now. And and I'm glad that it does because I think it's powerful, that idea of narrative and, because the Bible is this story. You know, the Bible is this story of who God is, what he's done in the world, and inviting us to be a part of that. Um, and and whether we recognize it or not, we're all telling a story about who God is and, and what he wants of us and for us. Um, and sometimes it's the wrong narrative. And sometimes we're unintentionally creating the wrong narrative. And the world is creating... A narrative that at least is more attractive, or is even more um, beneficent. You know, it, the the world is creating this narrative that they're inviting people, they're inviting young people into that says you can be important and you can help people and you can change the world. When really we've we've got the true story of how they can do that, but yeah. we're not doing a good job of of putting it out there. And and that's something that I think is is so very important in helping them to see that that's what the Bible is, and helping them to see that that big picture of the Bible. So. So that, that brings up another question in my mind is how do you think teenagers tend to see the Bible? Like what would if you had to kind of define how teens see scripture, what would it be?
1: I think that it, that is the struggle of helping them to see it as one fluid narrative mm-hmm. uh, from the garden to uh, when Jesus comes back and in this beautiful story of redemption. Sometimes we've chopped it up and sliced it in so many different ways that uh, the the narrative gets lost and you know really teaching teenagers that is so important because you know maybe in our hopes of teaching them different uh, values when they're younger or teaching them different biblical facts or different things maybe we haven't stayed true to the narrative story and you know, At each stage of our lives, we need to go back and refamiliarize ourselves with the narrative because each of our life stages is going to bring out something new from the story, um, no matter what that life stage is. But it's especially important helping people from elementary school to middle school to high school to re-look at the story through a new lens each and every time.
2: When they look at the Bible, again, like I said earlier, it's something that they've, again, coming from the perspective of a church kid, they look at it as I've already heard these stories and so already know everything there is to learn. But like Matt just said, we have to constantly go back to it and think, all right, I'm in a different stage than I was six months ago, uh, a year ago, however long it was. And uh, how, again, how does this truth show up in my life? How how does it apply? Um, But if they don't look at it as truth, that's a different question. Yeah, um, I don't know if that was what you were alluding to at all, but
0: yeah, no, it it is, and 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 it's interesting. Like you keep using that phrase, you know, speaking from a teenager's perspective. I already know all of these stories, so would you say that that's how they tend to look at it? Is like this just collection of. Like moral stories. I mean, just just this, you know, there's the, the garden and there's yeah. Noah's Ark and there's, you know, the flood and there's, I realize those are the same story, <laughs> David and Goliath. And there's, you know, there's all of these just kind of hodgepodge collection of just stories that teach some sort of a moral truth or something like that. Is that kind of how teens, I mean, that's how I thought of it. I mean, it's not, I don't think that's, if that's their perspective, I don't think that's a new perspective. When I taught, teenager, I was a youth minister for years, and and that's how mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's how a lot of adults tend to think of the Bible, as just this collection of moral stories that, and they, and they believe they really happen, so in that sense, they believe they're true, and they believe that they teach some sort of moral truth, but they don't think, they don't think of it as this, like Matt said, this redemption story mm-hmm. that, that is going from the garden, essentially back to the garden, and, and everything in between, and how God is redeeming and reconciling his people back to himself, and so they just tend to see it as this collection of stories, and, like you said well i've all i've I've heard all those yeah. rather than this story that we're constantly writing on our heart to say, "I really am being called by God to be a part of this and and live this out in the world and invite my friends and neighbors to come and be a part of this this." awesome epic adventure you know this epic awesome story that that we're a part of that the world and all of creation is a part of and and i don't think most christians adult christians or young christians tend to see the bible in that light and i think that's the fault of you know A lot of us that that should have helped present it in that light, but instead we've presented it as, you know, just little nuggets of wisdom or little Mm -hmm. nuggets of moral truth and hey, you know, you should be more like Abraham or you should be more like David, and we've kind of it's been presented more like Aesop's fables than it is this epic story.
1: I think it's not only the tendency to, you know, turn them into these moral stories. I think what we're also still trying to grapple with is just teaching teenagers about how to internalize the story in general and how to then, you know, seeing the Bible as transformative versus informative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kyle and I were talking prior to to coming in here about the things that we used to have to remember that we no longer do. Um, We were talking about phone numbers and, and different things. And we had an intern this summer who just turned 19 and lived in the Metroplex and I asked her several times to tell me where she lived and she never could. And part yeah. of it was, I don't need to know that. I've just got my phone. I can always plug it in or whatever. And just that idea of, you know, if you have this wealth of information outside of you, the things that you choose to, you know, I hate to use the word download, but really download mm-hmm. within your heart and, you know, how does a parable become more than a story? How does it become, you know, a life altering uh, account? You know, all these different ways to, to help people refocus on scripture is life giving and scripture is a way to connect with God. And it's not words on a page. It's, you know, words of life and Mm. and helping teenagers see that as the calling that we're all given.
0: And I see that. That's so powerful because I see that as the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know, there's one it's one thing to know a bunch of facts and to know, you know, all of these different stories. Uh, It's another thing to to be. and, And it's a different thing to know the rules. You know, hey, don't do this and do this but but it's different when it comes down to a decision to say not only what's the difference between what's good and bad but the difference between good and better and and to to be able to look at those things and make life decisions based on this this narrative this story that has shaped us and that we actually see ourselves as a part of and then being able to to look at two decisions and say you know what? I think this is more in keeping with the spirit of Christ than this other thing. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. It's not bad or whatever, but, but this would be better because, because of who I am and because of the story that I'm a part of. And that's something that I don't think I I know. I, I don't feel like the church was teaching my generation growing up how to be wise. You know, we, we had a lot of, you know, stories about you know good and bad tell the truth and don't lie mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't have a lot of instruction about about wisdom and and I think that if we if we not only learn the story but even like you said the parables I mean that's an interesting thought too to just look at the things that Je- the parables that Jesus told that weren't true stories but they carried this true point point. And allow those things, like the Good Samaritan, to shape us and to say, "What kind of a person should I be? What kind of opportunities should I be looking for?" And to allow those kind of things to shape our heart and mind, so that we we can tell in a, in the moment what's what's good, what's right, what's the best choice in this in this situation.
2: Yeah, I always hated those questions. Where on a test, like I think I remember it being on the ACT or a different test, but it would give you a story that you had to read and it had four or five options. And the question I uh, said, pick out the best answer, mm-hmm. the one that's <laughs> the best fitting. And I was like, oh, guys, I know this one's right, but this one's a little bit better. But yeah, like you said, figuring out, uh, you know, with the good Samaritan, who I am, who am I in this story and who do I want to be in this story? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anyone wants to be the person and that story that ignores the person who needs help, right. but is the way your life, if you reflect on that, okay, well, I am like that person. I am the Pharisee, or I am the uh, Levi, where Levite, where you're you know, I see opportunities, but i'm I'm not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the world is really in need of kingdom minded youth ministry, mm-hmm. and with the parables, so many of them are the kingdom of heaven is like mm-hmm. in teaching. Students to recognize that they're kingdom people and have a vision for kingdom living that's about the abundant life um, is really if we spent less time talking about do's and don'ts and more about, you know, abundance over scarcity and and what it looks like to be the people that Jesus is asking these Pharisees who know the rules to be, Mm -hmm. um, we can kind of be reductionist and become those that same audience that he's speaking to very easily Mm
2: -hmm. sometimes i think i don't say it enough but i go back to when you when you read again the stories in the bible it's something that's it's just history and yes it is history and it's part of our history but it's something that happened a long time ago um and it almost becomes with that myth to legend whatever um line of thought where yeah it probably did happen. Um, and they may have been real people, but really understanding that they actually lived on earth. These people went through these things and it's hard to understand that we are in that, that time where they, you know, let's just take Noah again. He, he didn't necessarily think about everything that happened before, um, He was just thinking where he was right then. Um, Teenagers now don't always think about, okay, well I'm a part of the things that happened before and what I'm doing right now will eventually be somebody else's past. So what I do now matters. And so going back to the kingdom thing, again, we're all part of that. Whether it was 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago or yesterday, there's something that we need to be doing uh, and living the way that God wants us to live now that will set us up for the future again, whether it's good Samaritan or any other parable, um, we, we have to not just apply it, but really really like have it change us.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of change gears just a little bit, I think. And and you brought up right in the beginning, Matt, about technology and information that's right at our fingertips. How would you say that technology has changed the way, or maybe not changed, maybe that's too dramatic of a word, but affected the way that young people view themselves, view other people, view God, and interact in the world?
1: Sure. I I think that Like anything, technology is a medium, and it's one that we should seek to learn the nuances of and and seek to be skilled operators of as we seek to be Christians in an ever-changing culture. Uh, But at the same time, as we recognize its strengths, we must recognize the ways in which it can take us away um, from God as well. And I think for teenagers, and I know if I were to have this when I was a teenager, just the constant image of wanting to look your best all the time. And the idea of having to find some way to summarize your day in a way that you felt like looked great to others. And, you know, it really takes away from the mundane everyday life. You're constantly looking for this Instagrammable experience, this, you know, just enjoying the the gifts that come from every day is hard to do if you're looking for the home run, uh, each and every time. And so contentment is a real challenge, uh, personal responsibility. I mean, I would have made a ton of poor decisions if I had a Snapchat as a teenager. Uh, the idea of not, you know, of what you post being gone in seconds, um, you know, takes a lot of maturity to know how to navigate that and, Uh, we kind of give that loaded gun to students at a younger age uh, all the time. So there's just a lot of things that require wisdom to your earlier point um, that we're giving to teenagers. And I think that we haven't seen the effects fully of what that can do to someone during their developmental stage. Mm -hmm. Um, We're a first generation to use all of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think that Uh, there's going to be a pendulum swing in some areas once we see the effects of, of what we're doing. And so, um, as you know, we always encourage parents like there is no such thing as privacy for teenagers. You should, it's your phone. Um, you should take their phone whenever you want to and check everything that they're a part of because, they're not quite ready to handle that responsibility and maybe they shouldn't be. I mean, they're just, they're growing up and they're trying to figure out how to navigate it like we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it has a huge effect on development.
2: Yeah, it definitely does. Again, what Matt alluded to, it's uh egocentric, that, that's the right word, I guess. It's all about, How people uh, see me and how people uh, or or what I put out there. Uh, I was listening to something a couple months ago about uh, how again Instagram isn't real um, in the sense that what people put out there isn't real life, and people try and say that it is. um, And but you need to think about you know the way you present yourself is the way you want people to see you, and so these teenagers uh, again technology. Uh, everyone almost has a phone uh, everywhere they go or there's, you know, different ways to put yourself out there, uh, whether it's YouTube or anything like that. And uh, they want them to see, they, teenagers want others to see them in a certain way. Um, and so it, it is a good and bad thing. We do have to figure out and navigate how best to use that. Um, but they, they don't know really what they're doing and i mean i'm only 31 i don't know everything there is to know about all that i think it's matt uh, funny that that you said snapchat i don't think you have a snapchat i don't
1: (laughs) i'm still not mature enough to handle it.
2: it but it's it's also it's just scary to think all the things that we can do and teenagers can do um without really anybody knowing that they did that Uh, Again, whether it's a Snapchat uh, picture that lasts four seconds um, or the fact that they have a phone and the parents don't know what they're doing on it. Um, Not every kid is bad using their phone, but the more uh, access uh, that students have, the more likely something they're going to come across or be sent or do that shouldn't be doing. Sure,
1: I think the original intent of a picture or video is to capture a moment and now it's to alter a moment. Mm. And so like, instead of trying to actually put out what we were a part of, we're trying to shape uh, who we are by using that technology. Mm. And that's a huge difference that really can affect our identity.
0: Yeah. And, and most of those things that we've mentioned so far are negative. I I would think, and maybe I'm wrong and and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would think that, that social media even but technology in a more general sense has also created a greater sense of like social awareness whereas where young people today have sort of a knowledge of I mean it, it's also arguably created this sense of you can be an activist by simply using a hashtag or something like that but but at the same time it really has in, in my perspective made young people aware of issues and kind of a different perspective that they might not have been aware of Uh, and this may be older than than high school and, and middle school and maybe more college. I don't know. You guys tell me. But but it, it does seem like people are now aware of things in different cultures, different subcultures, different groups outside of their own, and they're like, oh, wow, this is going on, and I didn't even know this was going on. Whereas in generations past, we might have only ever run in the circles that our parents ran in, yeah. and, and so for generations, things didn't get changed because there wasn't um, there wasn't the access to that perspective and those issues. Uh, on a broader scale.
2: Yeah. It's amazing what you can be connected to somebody halfway across the world right? Um, and different things that are happening over there. Be aware of those things. There's definitely some positiveness with that because um, we no longer can use the, uh, our ignorance as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can choose not to be a part of something or choose not to figure out stuff, but it's really easy um, either to be told or to find out what's happening in other places. So it's, it's awesome that we can, um, uh, use it for good and say, Hey, this is going on. I have lots of uh, family in California. And so, uh, with the fires that are going on over there, they're able to really spread the word. And whether you can, um, go and fight the fires yourself or send money or just pray, or, uh, just, be more conscious of what you're doing so that you don't cause any damage to the earth. Um, it's, it's created a lot of awareness that way, which is good.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it gives us the opportunity to, you know, fully think that we all have a chance to be a part of that threefold calling to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. I mean, that might've been an exclusive thing at certain times. And now, You know, that should be how we evaluate what we're doing in reaching each one of those Mm spheres, And, you know, I think teenagers, like us all, are learning how to be global citizens and what that awareness actually does and how we have to be mindful of our purchases and production and things that we might could have pled ignorance to before. And just uh, how to handle that in a mature Christian way is something that, think we're all trying to navigate. And I think it's definitely going to shape the next generation for sure.
0: Yeah. So as we wrap up, just, and I'm putting you guys on the spot, I know, but what, what would you say gives you the greatest hope about this, this generation of young people right now, whether that's young people that are in middle school or in high school? Uh, what, what would you say that they bring to the table that has the potential to, do, in your mind at least, the greatest amount of good uh, for the kingdom uh, because of who they're being shaped into?
1: I think this is one of the least boxed generations, and what I mean by that is they are somewhat institutionally skeptical, which can be a negative at times, but it also brings a lot of fresh life and fresh energy to how we go about solving these age-old problems and go about seeing the world in a new perspective. And I'm constantly taken aback by the creativity and even creativity in looking at Scripture in a different way of, you know, providing, uh, you know, a different reading of something. And I know in class there are so many times where a particular comment will, you know, really make me have to step back and go, I've never thought about that before. Maybe I uh, need to spend some more time uh, digging in in that area. And so just there, you know, I think there's a real purity to this age of students. I think that uh, they get misrepresented a lot of times of, you know, chasing after all these different things, which I think it's our fault for putting in front of them. A lot of times I think they're just trying to figure out life and, and we need to be partners in that and not obstacles in that.
2: Like mm-hmm. the thing that they'll bring to the table is not, uh, different from generations past, but it's also unique to them because of the things that are going on in the world right now. Um, but they have a voice and they uh, are able to uh, bring to light things that are important to them. Um, that, again we may not have either cared about or thought that we had solved or didn't even know about Um, and so again using the technology using that that ability to be uh, aware of things that are going on um, that's just going to um, get bigger and we'll be able to reach across uh, barriers and boundaries that we hadn't been before uh, because they're bringing again to light the things that we just didn't know
0: Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this encouraging, and I hope you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. As always, I love you, God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.